Isn't Jesus good? I've been blessed this morning already. I feel like I could just walk out of here with a blessing, but I think God has even more in store. First Peter chapter 5 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in, in due time, casting all your cares upon him. He really does care for you and what you're going through today. The details of your life. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Talked about the foot washing and how Jesus went to the disciples and he desperately wanted for them to recognize the humble, selfless love of God. And in order to help them realize that, he chose to wash dust and grime off their toes to make them more comfortable, to give them a a greater sense of the serving love of God, the selfless love of God, that this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It takes humility to be able to accept that. But I hope you've experienced that over the past week of casting all your cares upon him. This morning, we wanted to start off the the sermon time with something a little different. And that is a, a bit of sharing, just asking you, how has God revealed his loving character to you recently? How has God worked in your life? How has God revealed his love to you? How have you seen new pictures of his loving character Or just how has God blessed you? Things you're thankful for? We're just going to take a few moments here and we'll interlace scripture with it. And then we'll also dive into a little bit further into the story that we looked at last week. But before we do that, I just want to have a word of prayer together and invite you to pray in your own heart. Just to ask, God, do you have something that you've done for me that I could share today that would be a blessing to the church family, something that you have revealed your love to me in a fresh way that I could share, because those things are so powerful. I love uh, just reading through the Psalms again and again. They would exhort the people to tell the praises of God. Tell it to the next generation, Psalm 78 verse 4 says. The praises and the wonderful works of God. Why do we tell the next generation? Because it builds their faith. It gives them excitement about the love of God themselves. So let's just take a moment to pray together. Father in heaven, here we are in your presence. We've already sung about your incredible loving care. We've sung about your goodness and your grace. We've sung about these wonderful themes that are are beyond our understanding, and yet that day by day you reveal more of their beauty to us. This morning, Father... I just want to ask in the silence of our own hearts that you'd impress upon us if there's something that you want us to share. If there's something this morning that would be meaningful to this group, I just pray that you would lay it on our hearts to share that this morning. Thank you, Father, for hearing that prayer. Lord, we also ask that you would speak to us, that you'd open our hearts to hear your voice through the testimonies that people share and also through your word. Father, We long for a closer walk with you. The times are too urgent. The things in this world reveal that the time is wrapping up. And we long to have a deeper, more loving relationship with you. So would you please revive our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I see Sally's hands already up. So God must have laid it on Sally's heart. But we have two mics that are going to come around just now. And maybe we'll start with Sally. And then I see Don behind her wanting to share. Go ahead, Sally. There's nothing I more dislike than holding a microphone and standing up. Well, thank you for doing it. But 
two days ago, you heard the story about the lost keys and the lost phone. Two days ago, I lost my keys and my phone. <laughs> and I was frantic. I was looking all over the house. And I went through the refrigerator, even, and, and all the drawers, and in shoes, even. And it was getting to be 2 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't find either of them. And I was trying to think back. Well, I walked into the bedroom, and I found my keys. I don't know exactly when I started actually praying, because I don't, I don't think I should just say, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. But there were my keys, and I grabbed them, and I kissed my keys, and I said, thank you, God, thank you. And I could go to sleep. I knew I could go to sleep. So the next day, I called the restaurant where it might have, it was my last chance. And I called, and I called my phone, hoping it would ring and someone would answer it. Nothing. And I uh, remembered from prayer, from the prayer meeting, that I should enter the gates with praise and thanksgiving. So I started praying and giving thanks, and I just suddenly felt, I said, thank you, God, I know I'm going to get the phone back. And a friend of mine walked into the restaurant. She heard my phone ringing because I told her I missed the phone and I might have left him there. She walked into the restroom, uh, the restaurant, and she could hear my phone ringing. And the man was ignoring it completely. It was in a drawer under the cash register. And she said, "That's my friend's keys, my my friend's cell phone. Don't you hear it?" And he goes, <laughs> and so she said, "Well, oh, show it to me. Show it to me." And anyway, that was my my phone, and I just am really Amen. thanking God for, we can, I mean, it was a small thing, but it was really big to me. We can literally cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares for us, and he hears before we even call. I love, last night in our young adult Bible study, we read through a number of par parables, but one of them was the parable of the lost coin. It says in Luke 15, verses 8 and through 10, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. There's this desperation that comes in us when we lose something of value to us. It could be keys, cell phone, money, whatever it might be. Then I love the twist that Jesus puts right there in verse 10. He says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All of heaven, all of God's forces are mobilized to search for people who need to know Jesus. And there's joy in heaven when one is found. That's the character of our loving God. I think we have Don or Nadine. Nadine's next. I also don't like to take the microphone and stand up. <laughs> but I think it's important um, because um, I want to praise God. Um, as many of you know, please, God, let me say it. Um, as many of you know, we went through very tough three to two years with my mom and and um, she became more and more disabled and more dependent on us for everything, even down to feeding her. She couldn't feed herself. And God sustained us through that whole ordeal, uh, gave us the strength, gave us the spirit to do it in a loving manner, and we were surrounded by a loving, loving family our 
daughter and her family, our granddaughter, they were all there um, bringing food for us to eat, being there to take over so we could get our moments of rest. And, um, you know, God blessed us with that family and, and friends uh, who came and helped us also. We had a wonderful lady that came in and, and bathed my mom for me because I couldn't do it anymore with my back. And uh, it was just, if you think about it, he just put all those people in place all at the right time to support us and love us. And as many of you know, we just got back from Maui. Um, it was our daughter's idea because that was one of my mom's requests to have her ashes spread on Maui because she knows that I love going to Maui and every time I'd go over there she would be her ashes would be there so we found this uh, walk down the beach we found this beautiful old tree and uh, we spread her ashes underneath it and our daughter and my granddaughter and I made orchid lays at one of the little classes you could do at the resort. And John and my son-in-law and our grandson swam out with them uh, and let the lays go out in the surf. And, uh, and then we had prayer together. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was very difficult for me to do it, but... He gave me the strength to do it, and uh, and I know every time I go back, I can go to that tree and sit there, and be be with God and and, and the memories of my mom, um, and uh, I like to listen to a song every day. Um, You're a good good father, and and I and you love me, and I know you love me, and and that's. And, and I need that love. So I just wanted to share that with you, just how grateful I am for God's love for us and his help to get through a difficult time. Amen. He is a good, good father, isn't he? He brings comfort in all of our distresses, and his love does that. Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's power in the love of God to conquer all of these things. And then it goes on to say, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a good, good Father, and he loves us, and he's there with us, for us. Thank you, Nadine. Don. God is absolutely amazing. Um, as you know, I've been kind of recovering from two knee surgeries, and it hasn't been without its challenges, pain-wise, I'll have to admit that. But uh, I have had the occasion to just be able to spend some incredible time with God. And one of the things I was praying about was that I committed myself, I says, Jesus, I am all in with you. And one of the things, that involves a lot, as you might imagine. It's a little scary, actually, because I'm used to being self-sufficient and self-reliant and in control, which none of those are really 
true. <laughs> but anyway, um, after I told him I was all in, I, I, I threw something out to him that I thought was almost impossible. And I told him, I says, God, you need to teach me to be more in love with Jesus than I am with my wife. And he did that. And it's just been a constant surrender. Like, my whole life has so much peace and joy in it because I know where he's going to take me. I know I am his child and he has good plans and good thoughts for me. And I don't have to be afraid of anything. But I just wanted to convey one, one evening, I think it was a Friday night, and I was just laying in bed and not sleeping because I had some of my challenges. And I said, well, I'll just pray. So I just started praising God like you wouldn't believe. And he put so much joy in my heart. I was just busting loose. And Leah and Zach both have been very encouraging to me. They send me texts and they say, how you doing? And he says, oh, I just had the most amazing time with God. I just love him with all my heart. And... Uh, it's like it's a cool, cool thing to be completely at peace with God Amen. and to know that, that He's there Amen. and He does love me so much. Amen. Amen. That's powerful, huh? To fall more in love with God than we are in love with our spouse. You know, that's how God is with us. It says in Isaiah, I forget the, the verse exactly, but it says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so does your God rejoice over you. He's crazy about you. And when we realize that love that he has for us, it sparks that love in us. Taking that time like Don took to spend with him sparks that love. We have one here, Irene, and then back there with Matt. Okay. Um, I don't know if all of you know, but I'm a dialysis nurse, and sometimes I go out all crazy times of the night. Well, Monday, we had a very busy day. Pam, Tammy and I and several others helped Pam do some moving. And I had just settled in. It was about quarter to ten. And this is how God is wanting to give us a blessing, but sometimes we're not ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I was ready to settle in, and I was so tired, and I was looking. And it was my day off. I didn't even belong to dialysis that day, so I thought. (laughs) And I got a phone call, and... They said, pretty please, you're the very last one. We need you to come relieve somebody so that somebody can go and do somebody else who needs dialysis right now. And I said, oh, no, 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 I don't really want to go. Lord, how could this be happening? I don't really want to get up and go tonight. I have to work tomorrow, you know. (laughs) This means two in the morning or so and get up and work. And I finally begrudgingly said, okay, I'll do it. So I went, and everything went fine, and as I finished this patient and was putting my machine away, he reached out his hand and he said, thank you for coming in to relieve that other lady so she could go help someone else and you could take care of me. And I said, the Lord wanted to give me a blessing, and I didn't want to take it, but in the end I went and he gave it anyway. It's like... Beverly has something to share. Yeah. Um, I just want to share for um, those people who do not have a partner that comes to church with them or a family member that they wish would come to uh, not give up hope on that and that 
Uh, my husband doesn't come. I'm going to say his name, Michael Williams, so that you know his name resonates in this church. Because I realized just a few minutes ago that when I come to church, I'm bringing him with me. And, you know, he's in my heart, he's in my prayers, and if you have somebody that is not here with you, that you so clearly and dearly wish that they were, they are. And uh, Debbie will attest that, you know, she's seen a lot of changes in my husband. Um, You know, he told me he believes in something, but he's not sure what it is. So I see that as a step. And uh, when I come home, you know, he says, well, how is church today? Um, I've shared with him the love and the grace that I've received from this church. And it is making a difference. You know, I used to do my Sabbath school lesson off in my office so that he didn't see me doing it. I don't know if that was my own paranoia, but I just didn't feel comfortable. Um, and the also, he, he now has seen and met some of my friends from here. Um, I mentioned to him, I was asked to be on the school board, and I kind of cringed a bit because I thought, you know, that means I'm going to be gone in the evening, and how's he going to feel about that? And he said, you know, I think that's a great idea because you have the qualifications to be of help. So, you know, he's he's not physically sitting here, but, you know, he is with me. And I just want to share that with you so that for the people that your heart aches for, that uh, you wish you were seeing them next to you, know that they are, know that God is watching over them. And, um, you know, he's just so blessed, you know, to... Uh, to see you here. I really believe that you're just strengthened, you're enriched, and um, you need to be here every Saturday <laughs> and our cooking class tomorrow. <laughs> but he took the transition of, I told him, because he's, he's pretty much Mr. Meat, my husband, and I told him, you know, I'm moving to veganism here, and he went, oh, and that was all, you know. So, you know, I'm seeing miracles in my home. And, you know, he, he may or may never be sitting next to me here. Um, I did get him to church when our uh, water main broke and we desperately needed a shower. So I actually got him here to get a, sh- get a shower when nobody else was around. But anyway, uh, praise God for all of you and all of the family that you have that you wish were here that Keep aren't. Praying. Keep praying. It makes a difference. Thank you for that testimony. In fact, she told me just the other day that she made a recipe for her husband, a vegetarian entree, and she, he asked to try it, and he said, wow, next time, make some more of that. I want some of it or something like that. So you never know the different ways that God might be answering your prayers. Anybody else like to share maybe a last story or testimony that's on your heart? Lydia. Okay, good. Um, well, my grandma, one of my grandmas picks me up every Thursday. And um, last Thursday, 
we were walking from the pool because there's a public pool and um, I found a bunch of money on the ground and I'm like, should we like turn this in into the office? And then after we did that, we found out that um, one of the girls that um, lives around there, she dropped the money and um, we, mm-hmm. You found it? able to get it back to her. Oh, wow. That's great. Thank you, Lydia, for sharing that. That's great how God can use us to be a blessing and a help to others. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing this morning how God's been good to you. Looks like, did you have something to share? David? Good. Fantastic. Um, Yesterday was my granddaughter's birthday. Wow. And um, Kathy and I had prayed for her for many years. And I just want to say, don't ever give up praying for Amen. somebody. She was uh, involved in a, um, a bad relationship with a person. She was involved in drugs. Hmm. And just this last, I think it was about January, she got out of that relationship. She is now a new person. She is absolutely a new person. And now I'm praying for her to be saved by the Lord. Amen. Amen. Don't give up praying. It makes a difference. I'm here because of answers to prayer. Faustino, you have one too? Great. Uh, I also want to share this. And since I heard um, our little sister talking about water and swimming pools, uh, a few weeks ago, we were with my grandkids uh, on Avila, and we were on the by the bridge on this side where the water is, you know, very low. So all of a sudden, the water just started to come into the part of the of Avila. And it was cool because my little, my little one, who's four-year-old, he just jumped out of the water and he's like, oh, that's too fast for me. So he was just having fun on the um, upper level of the sand. And the water was so fast that it was taking the sand and it was just like banks. And big chunks of uh, sand were just dropped by, by the water in. Mm. So by that time, the water was up on my knees. I was not drowning, but it was kind of hard. I mean, the water was kind of fast. And my grandson, the other one, which is 12-year-old, was with me. And we were just having fun, my little one poking on the sand just to see the chunks of sand going into the water. All of a sudden, we saw a kid, like, four-year-old from here to the window. And my daughter was on the sand, on the dry part of the, the water, and I said, you know, that kid is by himself, and the water was already going fast. And the, the, this little boy, he just was um, by the water, seeing the water and the chunks of sand going into the water. And I'm like, that's dangerous. But, but it was a lady close to him, but I thought it was his mom. But uh, um, she just was walking away from him, and I told my daughter, go get him, get him, because he's going to... Uh, he's going to get on the water. And all of a sudden, he just sits on the sand, and the water was about this deep, and he's four-year-old, and it was fast. So I'm like, go get him, go get him. And she didn't get there in time. But I was running on the water about from here to there, and, he, and the, the sand just fell on 
you know, under his feet, and the, the water just grabbed him and put him in the water. So by the time I got there, I just grabbed him up, and I was like, oh, I got him, I got him. Praise and he, was, he, he went under the water. It was just a little scary. But I had this little boy on one hand. Who's, who's the father? Who's? <laughs> and, and then I saw this, this, um, the parents were looking for him when they saw him. They were like, what was he doing over there? He was here. I'm like, you know, God put me there for a reason. Amen. So I praise God for that. And also, you know, so we can, don't take your eyes off your children. You know, it's very dangerous. You can't trust Practical water. Advice. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. We should all pray that prayer that God puts us at that right spot at the right time where somebody needs his help. How does that do for your heart? I don't know what it does for you necessarily, but to hear people share about answers to prayer, about how God's seen them through a time of bereavement, about how God has led with their spouse, about how they're seeing things happen with their kids, about just that personal time alone with him, about what they've seen in nature It reminds me that God is active, that He's loving, that I really can cast all my cares upon Him, for He cares for me. I don't know if that does that for you, but it it stirs faith in my heart. And I hope that as we dive into the rest of the story together quickly, that we will discover why this is so vital to us. Go with me to John chapter 13. So last week we looked at John chapter 13. We saw how Jesus was looking at his disciples and they saw that they had a problem, a pride problem. And in order to solve that, he didn't just rebuke them on the spot, but he got down and he washed the dust off their toes. And he started with Judas, the one that he knew was going to betray him, the one that he knew had been robbing him of the money for ministry that he needed. Jesus, who is bearing so much at that moment, knowing that he's going to the cross, bent down, cared about others, washed their toes. What an incredible God we have who cares about the details of your life. We looked at uh, something in, in uh, the Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1139, last week. Um, it says, Humility is an active principle growing out of a thorough consciousness of God's great love and will always show itself by the way in which it works. When we have a thorough consciousness of God's great love, we love because He first loved us. We only have a selfless love in our hearts when we recognize the thoroughness of God's love for every detail of our life, every nook and cranny of our heart, that all the way down to the dust on our toes, God cares for us. And He wants what's best for our lives. When we recognize that, it should change everything. But here's my question this morning. Why didn't it change everything for Judas? Judas was the first one who had his feet washed. Judas was the one who Jesus pulled the closest to. He trusted him to to hold the money bags. Judas, of all people, should have seen the selfless love of God. What happened? Why is it that people turn away from God's love? Why, how could they possibly reject a God like this who cares for all of our lives, who's willing to lay down his own life to suffer the second death for me and for you so that I could have life? How could we ever turn away? And yet you've probably had people in your own life. You wonder, why is it that they turn away? What is, what is it about God's love that they're missing? What was it? 
that Judas was missing. Look at John chapter 13. We read down to where Jesus is saying that he's going to go and betray him. And we pick it up in verse 27. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Verse 28, but no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. Everybody else thought that Judas was one of the most qualified and highest among the disciples. They thought he was a good guy. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy these things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. It was night. Now, do you think that John here is just telling us that it was night so that we knew that they had the Passover meal in the evening? I don't think so. That's a a common understanding. We would realize that it's night, but he chooses right here to insert this phrase so that we recognize the darkness that was coming into Judas' life. We recognize that, that although Judas was there for three and a half years with the light of the world, something had happened in his life that had led to darkness. It was night in Judas' life. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 59. I believe Isaiah chapter 59 reveals why this took place in Judas' life. We know from the stories where we read about how Judas was there saying, you shouldn't be spending this much money in anointing Jesus' feet with oil. And he actually was saying that the money should go to the poor when it tells us that In fact, he was robbing from the money bags that they had there. So in Isaiah chapter 59, we find out what happens when we have sins in our lives that we are clinging to. Because the question we're asking is, isn't God's love enough? Isn't isn't Jesus displaying his selfless love to his closest disciple? Isn't this enough for him to accept his love? What went wrong? Isaiah 59 and verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. The word there for Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the name for God himself. God's hand is not short that it cannot save. Jesus, as God on earth, his hand was not too short that he could not save. So why was he not able to save Judas? What went wrong for Judas? It goes on to say in verse 2, but, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. You know, sometimes I've read that and I thought, well, that's kind of arbitrary of God. If, if God is a loving God, then why does he have to to separate from me just because I sin and I'm, I'm living a life of sin. Why this separation that takes place? The rest of the verse goes on to explain it. It says, And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin has an effect on our view of the character of God. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve chose to buy the lie that Satan had and they ate of that fruit, it immediately twisted their view of who God was. And when God came back into the garden, you suddenly find them hiding from God rather than running to meet Him. You find them accusing each other, passing the blame off, trying ultimately to blame God for the creatures that He had created that had deceived them. 
sin has a way of marring our picture of his incredible love. Because as we participate in selfishness, it, it begins to stir in us pictures of God that are, are not so beautiful. They're not so filled with compassion. They're not so filled with selfless love. And, and it hides the face of God from us. So how could Judas, for three and a half years, have sat there in the presence of God on earth, and yet not having seen his loving character? I love how it describes it in the book, Desire of Ages. It talks about Jesus washing Judas' feet. It describes the love that thrilled through Judas', Judas soul. And Desire of Ages, page 645, it says, When the Savior's hands were bathing those soiled feet and wiping them with a towel, the heart of Judas thrilled through and through with the impulse then and there to confess his sin. He wanted to admit, I'm the one, I've, I've, I've sold him for 30 pieces of silver, the, the price of a slave. I'm the one that's been stealing from the money box. He wanted to confess his sin. But he would not humble himself. He hardened his heart against repentance. And the old impulses, for the moment put aside, again controlled him. He resisted. He clung to his sin. And sin has a way of marring and hiding the image of God that we hold dear. It has a way of hiding his face from us so that we don't recognize his loving character. We don't realize that he's looking down on us with love, with a smile, longing to forgive, longing for us to confess and forsake our sins so that he can give us a brand new life. Judas hung on to his sin. It goes on to say, Judas was now offended at Christ's act in washing the feet of his disciples. Do you see how marred his picture of God's character is at this point? Here, Jesus is humbling himself to the point of washing his feet, and yet somehow Judas hardens his heart to the place where he looks at that very act as something that disqualifies Jesus to be the Messiah. If Jesus could so humble himself, he thought he could not be Israel's king. All hope of worldly honor in a temporal kingdom was destroyed. Judas was satisfied that there was nothing to be gained by following Christ. After seeing him degrade himself as he thought, he was confirmed in his purpose to disown him, and he resolved to complete the work he had agreed to do in betraying his Lord. The very act of selfless love, of, of getting down on his knee and washing his feet, that light that was shined into the life of Judas, that selfless love that Judas had never experienced before because he chose to harden his heart. That light that was shining on him, you think about if you set clay out in the sun, how it bakes and it hardens. Whereas if you place a candle out in the sun, it melts like wax. Our hearts, we have the choice of how our hearts respond to the love of God. They may harden or they may melt like wax. But the love of God never changes. He continues to lavish his selfless love on us. Just look at Matthew chapter 5, or chapter 6, actually. Matthew, or no, let's go to John. Sorry, we'll go to John chapter 3 first. In John chapter 3, we, this familiar text in John 3.16 tells us about the love of God, right? You probably know it. You want to recite it with me? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
familiar text, but yet so beautiful, it encapsulates the gospel. He loves us so much that he held nothing back. He gave us everything in the gift of his only son. Then it goes on to say this in verse 17. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Did you realize that Jesus didn't come here to show us a perfect example so that you could be condemned in your selfishness and your sin? Jesus didn't walk on this planet so that you could just recognize how terrible you are and that that's the end. But instead, he wanted us to recognize how desperately we needed a Savior. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came that we might have life, that we might be saved. But it goes on, sad words goes on in verse 18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the character of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's night in a lot of our lives. We see the love of God and yet we've hardened our hearts like Judas. We're clinging to our sin. And just like Judas, when he walked out away from that upper room, it was night. It was dark. For Judas. Flip over to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, it describes what I believe was going on in Judas' heart. The last verses that we'll look at together. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What was Judas doing? He's robbing the treasury. He's determined to sell Jesus for the price of a slave so that he could have 30 pieces of silver. Selling the Lord of glory. Selling the King of kings for the price of a slave. Judas was building treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Judas' heart was not with Jesus. His treasure, his ultimate treasure, was not to be with Jesus. Jesus had prayed that they might know him and that to know him is eternal life in John 17.3. Knowing Jesus is everything. But Judas walked out on that for 30 pieces of silver, for a small amount of money relatively. And then it goes on to say this in verse 22. And sometimes I... I, I don't see the connection between parts of the Sermon on the Mount, but, but as I look at the story of Judas, I realize the connection that's here. Verse 22, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If you're looking at the light, then light is going to be what, what you see in your entire mind's eye. The eye is so vital and crucial to our understanding of the world. But then verse 23 says, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Judas thought that he was looking to the light. He thought that he knew what the Messiah was supposed to look like. He thought that he was coming to set up an earthly kingdom. He thought that he was doing the right thing in order to, to set Jesus up so that Jesus would proclaim himself as king. But really that light was utter darkness. Judas totally missed the loving character of God, 
because he was clinging to his selfishness. He was clinging to his pride. He was clinging to the sin in his life. Do you see why God desperately wants for us to surrender the sin in our life? It's because of how it mars our picture of what the loving character of God is, which is the foundation for all righteousness in the universe. That principle of selfless love. When we sin, when we continue to walk in sin, it mars our picture of Jesus. And as we look at darkness rather than light, it fills our whole being with darkness. It may be for us that it's treasures here on earth. Or it may be the other things in our life that distract us. I don't know what it may be for you that prompts the selfishness, the pride, the the addictions in your life. But I know this. If your eye is full of light, your whole body is going to be full of light. Whatever you're struggling with today, if you will fix your eyes on Jesus and you will believe what the Bible says about His loving character, then your whole body will be full of light. It's what God is longing to do for you and I. He's longing for you and I to have the experience of Peter rather than Judas. Peter made some huge mistakes. Peter himself thought that he could fight for Jesus, and he fought valiantly until Jesus said, hey, stop, you're going to perish by the sword. And he healed the ear of the high priest's servant. When he healed that ear, Peter was devastated. He thought that they were going to fight and set up a kingdom. He was confused about who God was too, and so he ran for his life. He was the one like Ron pointed out that that encouraged the rest of the disciples to run from Jesus. But then you follow on, and pretty soon, Peter's coming back. And he's beginning to refix his eyes on Jesus. He got distracted for a little bit, but he, he comes into the court, and he begins to, again, look to Jesus. And as he's looking to Jesus, he still doesn't get it. Three times, as somebody asked him, aren't you one of his followers? You're looking at Jesus said, no, 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 I don't even know the man. And eventually curses and says, I, I never knew the man. And then when that rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the prophecy that Jesus had given, that that very night he would deny him. And as he looked up into that hall where Jesus was being condemned to die, and Jesus looked back, he kept his eyes fixed on the love that Jesus had for him. He recognized that he was fully known by Jesus. Jesus knew all the garbage in his life. Jesus knew it far better than him, the sin that was going to trip him up. Jesus knows that tomorrow there may be something that's going to trip you up. Jesus knows it before you get to it. And Jesus desperately wants to prepare you for that moment. He wants his grace to be there to strengthen you, to see you through it. And he wants to be there to pick you up. So on the one hand, where you have in Matthew 27 that Judas, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he ran in and threw the pieces of silver into the temple and he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, well, that's your business. You worry about that. And because he couldn't handle the situation and he hadn't learned to surrender himself to Jesus, to cast all of his cares upon him, he'd been desperately trying to, to build his own kingdom, to provide for his own needs, to depend upon what he could do in his righteousness. Judas couldn't bear that moment. And he ran out, and he went, and he hung himself. Peter, too, in that moment when he recognized that he denied the King of glory, when he recognized that he denied his best friend, he ran out. But instead of giving up in hopelessness, 
he fell down and he wept and he asked for forgiveness and he began to cling to Jesus and to the merciful love of Jesus that he knew. He clung to Jesus despite having fallen. And Jesus lifted him up. If you think about it, in Acts chapter 2, when God chooses to pour out His Holy Spirit and the, the entire city comes together, who's the one that God chooses to be the first to preach a sermon when the Holy Spirit's been poured out? He used Peter powerfully. God wants to lift you up out of whatever you're dealing with, whatever struggle you're going through, whatever sin you've been hanging on to, whatever addiction in your life has been dragging you down. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, stop clinging to that sin and say, Jesus, I just need a Savior. I need you to deliver me from all of this. He will lift you up. You can cast all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Today, this week, this next year, keep clinging to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Take time in His Word. Keep focusing on the love of God that alone can stir in your heart the humility necessary to rely upon God to be your Savior. Apart from that, we're lost. You and I are going to end up like Judas. And we're going to reject Jesus. We're going to run away from Him. And it will be to our eternal doom. But there's no reason that anybody needs to experience that. The Son of God did not come to condemn you, but He came that you might have life. Look to Jesus and live. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, forgive us for getting so distracted. Lord, forgive us for focusing on our problems. Forgive us for getting so confused about who you are. Forgive us for clinging to our sin in our life and focusing on the things that we want rather than focusing on Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would stir in our hearts a love for you that is beyond anything that we've ever experienced before that would melt our hearts. Lord, don't let us harden our hearts, we pray. Please help us to respond to your love, Lord. The times are too desperate. This world is too full of hatred and strife for us to live as Christians and to go on walking in our sin. Father, may we please be transformed by your love, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.